Uh, we have, uh, we've been on a summer journey uh, that is actually going to end this week also uh, because school starts. So we're going to go back to school ourselves and go into scripture. So, uh, but uh, not that we haven't been in scripture, but uh, we have spent the summer really diving deep into some of the parables that Jesus told, uh, the stories, if you will, that Jesus told. And uh, I, I, I think this summer has been fruitful for us as we've been looking at these parables, right? We've, we've looked at, at how Jesus is teaching, why Jesus is teaching, and some of, the, some of the language that he uses. And just remember, parables, are, just two reminders about parables. Parables, first of all, are a way for Jesus to teach important truth to the people that he was talking to in words and images that allow them to understand a little better what's going on. All right, these are a teaching tool for Jesus. He, it would probably be, it'd be less, it'd be less fun to just hear Jesus just talk about theology all the time, right? Here, here's, here's some stories that teach you the truth that I'm trying to get you. But here's the second reminder about parables that we need to remember is that parables will always, every single time, call for some sort of transformation. Some sort of change, some sort of, uh, of life shift. And so we've seen this along the way as each of the, in each of the parables that we've talked about, right? We talked about the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee uh, and this call to humility. We looked at the parable of the, the wise and the foolish builder and the call to obedience, the, the parable of the good Samaritan and the call to, to be a neighbor, to love, the parables of the kingdom and the call to, to be a kingdom participant. We looked at the parable of the tower and the, the king going to war and looked at this call of Jesus to, to count the cost of discipleship. I still don't know a better name for this than the parable of the grumpy neighbor that we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, but just this call to be audaciously bold with our prayers. Shamelessly audacious is what the NIV says, and I love that phrase. And then last week we looked at the parable of the dirty dish and the whitewashed tomb and just looked at this, this idea of hypocrisy and Jesus calling people out of hypocrisy. Uh, you know, Pastor Jason also talked about the parable of the seeds and the soil. So this is actually the 10th week uh, that we have been talking about parables, which is kind of Kind of great, we just spend the summer talking about these, and, and uh, when it's all said and done, we will have touched just under half of the parables that we find in Scripture. There are more to be read, there are more to be found, there are more to do, and so I just, I pray that you would go, and you would find those, and you would read those, and you would understand, and as you're reading, just think, this parable means something. This is not just a fun story that I'm reading, this, this means something, this is a call to something. These are more than just stories Jesus told. Right, there's more to this. There, is, there are lessons and hopefully a call to something more. And I want to end this series with the chapter that I have been wanting to preach about for, for quite a while here. For the last few weeks, I've been feeling like I, I, I want to, I start to, I like have all my notes ready for Luke chapter 15 and then God would call me somewhere else. And so we're actually going to do Luke 15 today. And I'm excited about it. I hope you are as well. But so if you want to turn there with me, go to Luke chapter 15 uh, and uh, we're going to talk through three different parables this morning. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Oftentimes we call that the prodigal son. And uh, you know, I think sometimes we, we don't do this quite justice because we only do the third one. We sort of leave the first two alone and we just talk about the prodigal son because that's the, that's the more fun one to talk about, right? We, we, we know that one, we love that one, but really these three parables go together. 
This is, this is one conversation that Jesus is having, and so we want to go there together. So Luke chapter 15, I super apologize, I don't have the page number in our pew Bibles if you need them, but like always, if you need a Bible and you don't have one and you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's yours. You take it home, it's yours. Uh, and uh, so, but Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today, and uh, first thing I want to do is just kind of set the context. So this passage is actually directly following the passage that we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the parable of the tower, the parable of the king going to war. The end of Luke chapter 14 is this call to discipleship. Remember, hate your family, pick up your cross, get rid of it, like be able to leave everything or you cannot be my disciple. That's the end of Luke chapter 14. All right, so end of Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking to people who, remember, this is kind of a, the ironic thing about that passage, that's an evangelistic passage for Jesus. He is trying to get people to follow him, and he's doing it in, in those words. And if you, if you missed that week, you can go back and listen on our podcast, but it's just kind of a, a fun, uh, it wasn't fun to talk about, but it's, a, it's kind of just interesting, it's fun to think about, like, that's an evangelism thing for Jesus. Like, hey, your family, pick up your cross, give up everything, and then you can follow me, right? This is how Jesus was calling people. But these, the people that Jesus was talking to at that point were people who, who, were, who were gearing up to follow him. They were wanting to be his disciples. And Jesus turns around and he tells them that this conversation immediately following is not to those same people. Right, the context is, is a little bit different. It is, now, now there's a chapter here where Jesus is not necessarily talking to prospective disciples, at least not yet. Right, we read verse 1 and 2, and here's how Luke sets the scene. Now the tax collectors and sinners, and I just, even just from the first week, I hope as I talked about the tax collector and the attitudes of the tax collector, you, you've seen this in the scripture, because oftentimes they're like held to their own thing, right? There's, it could have just said in the sinners, but no, there's tax collectors and sinners, like they're a different category. But, so now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there are, there are two groups of people as we, as we set the, the scene here. Right? The first one is the tax collectors and the sinners. Right? And these, these were, not only were they around, but they were, they were welcomed to be with Jesus, which is what really makes the Pharisees mad, is he was welcoming them in. But not only were they around and they were welcomed, Jesus was eating with them. He was hanging out with them. And at, this, was, this was a big deal. Because at this time, the, the, really the rules around all this stuff was God's people did not really eat or just even be around people who were not God's people, the sinners, the tax collectors. Uh, it was one thing to know them, but to, to invite them to your table. For the Pharisees, this was, this was bad because they, they, it implied a thing called table fellowship which is basically acceptance, full acceptance into the family. So the Pharisees were like, what is Jesus doing? How can he fully accept these tax collectors and sinners into the table? What is, what is he doing right now? This just seems wrong. It was unthinkable for them, which is the second group of people here, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They see Jesus do this, and they're muttering together. Again, like, how can Jesus do this? This is unbelievable. Why is he doing this? Obviously, the, the, the third person, the third party here is Jesus, right? But, and that will come into play. So Jesus sees what's going on. You can tell that he kind of understands what the Pharisees are thinking in this moment. 
And he tells these three parables. And I want us to, as we're thinking about these three parables, remember Jesus often uses parables to, and, and he'll put people in the parable. We, the, the, the tax collectors and sinners are in these parables. Jesus, God, is in these parables. The Pharisees are in these parables. I want you to try and pay attention here. All right, See, as we're reading, just think about who fits where. Because we're going to see each of these three people represented. So the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Short and sweet. Who's who? We can ask this question about all three of these parables. Who's who? Jesus, God, we can say is the shepherd, which is not, uh, not an uncommon imagery of Jesus, right? Jesus in the book of John even says, I am the good shepherd. The Jesus as shepherd is not an uncommon thing. So he begins to talk about being the shepherd and the sheep. But who are the sheep? The sheep are the sinners, the tax collectors that he is with. Right, and he's, he's basically saying, look, there, there is rejoicing in heaven when one of these sinners comes to know me. There's rejoicing in heaven. See, the Pharisees yet. Not yet. Not there yet. Parable 2, the parable of the lost coin, starting in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This, this word in the middle here, or suppose, right? This is one word in the Greek language. It makes it clear. This is, this is one thing that Jesus is doing. We're going to continue this story. Right? There's, there's, this is one story. So who's who? Well, we've got the woman who is looking for the lost coins. We've got the lost coin. We know that probably the sinners are the lost coin because they're rejoicing over the sinners. We know that probably God is, is this woman. There's, uh, there's also, uh, there's a lot of, honestly, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of theologians who want to say that this woman is actually the church. Because the coin didn't knowingly leave or go out, but it's, it's there. It's all in the house. We're not going to necessarily go there today. But this woman who has ten coins, loses one, has to light a lamp. Doesn't necessarily mean it was night. The houses at this point, I mean, there wasn't very many windows or doors. It was just dark in there. And so to find something that was lost on a, basically a, an earth floor, sometimes you needed a little light. So she lights a candle. She's sweeping so she could hear the coin as she did. But again, I want you to notice this. There is celebration when she finds the coin. It is worth celebrating. There are some, some differences and similarities between these two parables. Differences. First of all, the sheep goes away on its own. The sheep leaves. The coin doesn't just leave. The coin is simply lost. And, and yeah, like I was saying, I just actually got ahead of myself about the whole church thing. But anyways, 
there's some differences. There's also some similarities, right? I want you to see this. There is no quit in the shepherd or the woman who is looking for the lost sheep and the lost coin. They are not going to quit. They are going after that sheep, even if it means leaving the 99. I'm going to spend all night looking for this coin until I find this coin. There's no quit in them. But here's the other similarity. When the lost are found, there is rejoicing in that moment and in heaven. And see, this on its face is actually contradictory to what the Pharisees believed back then. The Pharisees had a little different view about the law, the, the, these sinners and tax collectors. Here's what they would say. They would say, and this is, a, this is a quote, there is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. There is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. Basically the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying like, look, there is joy and rejoicing when a sinner comes home. When the lost is found, when dead come to life, as we'll see in the third one, the Pharisees are like, there is joy and rejoicing when a sinner dies. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, this is wrong. Which leads us to our next parable, probably the more common one that we'll know, but the parable of the lost son, prodigal son, parable of the good father, however you want to, I don't know, there's all kinds of different headings. But Jesus continued which is the part where we don't actually get. This is all one thing, right? Jesus continued. He was talking to these people, and now he's continuing. There was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast And celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, I love that, not my brother. When this son of yours 
who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So I'll ask you the same question. Who's who? Who's who? I think it's pretty clear. I think we know God, Jesus, is the father. The younger son, I think we can say, is these tax collectors and sinners who Jesus is talking with. But there's something about this one, though. This, this one's much more detailed. And it's not just a quick paragraph talking about a woman who lost a coin and then she found it and there was a party. Or a guy who lost a sheep, he went and looked for it and found it and there was a party. He goes into a little more detail here about each of these people. We have a little more detail about the younger son and and the younger son wants the father's inheritance, which was not actually an uncommon ask at this time. I think sometimes we think it is, but it really wasn't. You know, as the father gets older, the son and the sons can say, I want, I want my piece. And the father gives it to him. This is the younger son. So he got about one third of the father's everything. The older son, because he got a double portion, would get two thirds. So he gets a third of everything and he goes off on his own. And he squanders it in wild living. We have some hints into that a little later in the, in the passage. But he squanders it with this wild living. And there's a famine. He's in need. He realizes that he has this need. And he says, even my father's servants eat better than this. He's like craving a pod that they give the pigs. And he's like, you know what? What am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Even my father's servants get to eat a hot meal. You know, I just, I need to go back. And he, he, he's rehearsing this speech. You know, I've, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please think of me now as just one of your servants. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your servants. And then you can imagine he's on his way back. He's in a distant country. He's making his way back. He's just processing all that's gone on. He's rehearsing this speech. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please make me one of your servants. And he finally arrives. And scripture tells us that while he was still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He puts on the finest robe and a ring and sandals. He, he basically accepts him back into the family. And I want, I want you just to see this. I, he, he, he's filled with compassion for him, and he doesn't even let him finish his speech. He gets through this part. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. He had another piece that he was going to say. Please make me like one of your servants. And the father has no business with that. Doesn't even let him stop. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father calls his bluff. And he says, no, you are. He hugs him. Puts on his robe. Puts on a ring. Puts on his sandals. And welcomes him home. And he's telling people to kill the calf. We're going to have a party here because this son was lost and now he is found. I thought he was dead, but now he is alive. 
You see the compassion and the love of the Father towards someone that he thought was lost. Someone that he presumed was dead. But even just the fact that like, he's, he's looking out into the distance. He sees him from a long way off. Why is he even looking out there? Because he's still hopeful that someday that son who is lost will come back home. We see the love of the father and, and he, he just runs out to meet his son. When I think of this story, I think about these videos that you see online. Maybe you've seen it. You see like military people coming home. They've been gone for a long time and their family is just waiting for them in the airport. And as soon as they come down the escalator, as soon as they get to the place, the bags drop and the families run together and there's just an embrace. And, and it's, it's hard not to cry, honestly, when you watch those videos. That's the embrace that I picture when I think of the prodigal son. Just this, I have missed you. I love you so much. I'm so glad you are home. I'm so glad you're safe. He finally arrives. Scripture says he ran and he kissed him. Tells his servants to to get ready for a party. If you're wondering what how God feels about lost people. Look no further than this story. But there's a third character in the story. And it's the older brother. And there's a third person in this conversation that we haven't yet talked about really in the parables. Who is that? It's the, it's the Pharisees. These Pharisees who were so mad that Jesus would even eat with sinners. And Jesus begins to tell these stories like, you guys have no idea the love that God has for these sinners. And you just read this, and there's this third character, this older brother, and, and up until this point, it's just been God and sinners in these parables. We've had the sheep and the shepherd, the woman and the coin. Now there's this, this third group, the older brother, the Pharisees, and they refuse to rejoice when the sinner comes home. In fact, they give, they give God some attitude, if you look at this. And this very last part, it says that he wouldn't even come into the party. And so what happens is the father goes out to talk to his son. And in verse 29, but he answered his father. And the very first word is look. And there's an exclamation point in mind. The word there is, is an emphatic, like disrespectful word. You are, you are disrespecting. The older brother is disrespecting the father just by even saying this word look. All those years, I have been slaving for you. Think about what we know about the Pharisees. What, are the, what, is they, what is their big deal? They think they can do all the right things and earn their righteousness. And to everybody else, it feels like slaving. <laughs> and here's Jesus just putting the name on it. Look, I have been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat for my friends and I. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours comes home, you, you kill the fattened calf. And it, just listen to what the father says. My son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. Because this brother of yours you see the reversal there? This son of yours. No, the father says, no, this brother of yours has come home. 
he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. I want to just I want to just do this this morning. I want to just think, compare and contrast some of these some of these characters that we're seeing, especially these two men, the father and the older brother, because it's easy to, to read this story and just be grateful because we are all the younger brother. All right, we have all come, if, if we, I shouldn't say we all, if we have said yes to Christ, we are the younger brother. We can relate. We can relate to the embrace, the open arm embrace, the hug and the kiss, the party that Jesus wants to throw when we come to him. But there's, there's these two other, other people, and, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong to read ourselves into the younger brother, but what I think God would have us do this morning is really compare these other two men in the story, the older brother and the father. Because who is Jesus really speaking to in these parables? He's not necessarily speaking to the sinners, and, and he is a little bit. They're there. Who is he really talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. And so I want to really pay attention to what he says about those, because I, I think about this. I think the older brother, the older brother sees what's happening, and it feels a little bit like Jonah. Think about the story of Jonah with me. Jonah in the Old Testament, he's got his own book. You can go read it. It's pretty awesome. Jonah is called by God, he's a prophet, to go to Nineveh and to preach and have them repent. Jonah's like, they don't deserve it. I'm not going. Jonah runs, a fish eats him, throws him up three days later. He ends up going to Nineveh and preaching. That's a very long story short. What happens, though, is he preaches. He doesn't hold any punches. Forty days and you're going to be destroyed. Right? He's, he gives him a timeline. Forty days and you're going to be destroyed. But what happens is they come to faith. They come to God. They see the wrong. They repent. And the last chapter of Jonah, what we have is we have Jonah sitting on a hill overlooking Nineveh, just waiting for the fire to come. And it never does. And he's mad at God. Like really mad at God for saving those people. And that's what I think about. When I think about the older brother, I think about Jonah. And and I think that his attitude was a lot like the Pharisees in real life. Like there's joy before God when those who provoke him are killed. He, that's what he was sitting on the hill to watch. Uh, he wanted to watch this. He was like, there is joy before God when this whole place is getting wiped out because they don't come to God. Instead, they do, they live, but there's this attitude. There's this attitude towards, towards sinners and tax collectors and the lost of this just, I don't like you. And I don't want to like you. And I don't need to like you. And then there's the father. The father, however, looks not like necessarily like Jonah. He looks like the shepherd from the first parable and the woman with the lost coin in the second parable. The one who is just so hopeful. You can just imagine him just longing to see his son again. Longing for the day that he would come home so he could run to him and welcome him home. And again, there is a party. And there were... There are a lot of other things I wanted to say this morning, but I really think what God wants to do this morning is just, just let us think about this question. What are our attitudes towards the younger brothers in our world? What is our attitude toward the younger brothers, toward the tax collectors and the sinners? And what's our attitude? The lives of the people that we know who either don't know Christ or who did at one point and have walked away. Are we more like the Father? 
Or are we more like the older brother? Are we like the father? Are we just longing for the day that they would come home? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to get them back, to get them home, to run out and to meet them? Notice the father never once said, I can't believe you did fill in the blank. There was no record of wrong. It was simply, I thought you were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. Sometimes I think we're like the older brother, who did keep a record of wrong. (laughs) He was keeping track of his younger brother. He says, he was out there, he squandered all your money with prostitutes, this wild living. Look at all the stuff he did. And then the father just responds, we... We had to celebrate. He was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. This, that word had to there is literally like, a, we have to do this. Like it's, it's, It would be inappropriate not to. <laughs> we had to celebrate because he is. So, so I ask you again, which, which attitude are we more towards the younger brothers, the sinners around us? The people who struggle, the people who are, who are involved in all kinds of things that we may or may not agree with. How, what's our attitude? Is it like the father who says, hey, I welcome you with open arms. I hug you. I kiss you. I'm going to throw a party for you when you come to Christ. Or is it like the older brother who just can't get over some of the things that are happening? I don't know about you, but I want to be personally more like the father. I do. I, I want to be like the Father. I want to be the person who, who loves like that, who welcomes people who may not act or think like I do, who welcomes them into the family with open arms. There's a quote that I absolutely love by Billy Graham that I say all the time. It is, God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it is our job to love. We should be the Father in this story. Welcoming people in with open arms. That's where we should be. You know why? Because we have been where the younger brother has been. Scripture, Paul, you were dead when you used to live in those ways, but now you have been made alive in Christ. You once were children of darkness. Now you are a child of light. We have been where the younger brother has been. Now we've been welcomed in. If we have said yes to Christ, we have welcomed in. So now the choice is ours. Do we love like the father? Or do we act like the older brother? The Pharisees. Which one will it be? I know for me, for me the choice is pretty clear. I want to love like the father. I want to accept. I want to love. I want to bring people in. That's what I need. That's what I want. Because I have been where the younger brother has been. And I have felt the embrace of the father. And I want no part of looking down on someone else who is also feeling that embrace of the father. I want no part in keeping track of their wrongs like the older brother. I want no part in 
beginning to think like I've been perfect and slaving away this whole time and he's been living this way and now he gets to come back and what's going on, God? No, it's, there's joy and rejoicing when a sinner comes home. That's what it should be. And I, I don't know about you, but I like parties. <laughs> I want to throw as many as we can. There's joy and rejoicing when a sinner comes home. Let's be like the father and not the older brother because we have all been the younger brother. Let's pray.